This podcast is produced by the Center for Deployment Psychology at the Uniformed Services University of the Health Sciences. The views expressed are those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of the Uniformed Services University, the Department of Defense, or the U.S. government. In addition, references to any specific companies, products, processes, or services does not necessarily constitute or imply endorsement by the Uniformed Services University, the Department of Defense, or the U.S. government. Welcome to CDP's podcast, Practical for Your Practice. We give you actionable intel to support what you do. One colleague to another. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Practical for Your Practice. I'm Dr. Kevin Holloway, one of our hosts. I'm joined, of course, by Dr. Jenna Ermold. Hi, Jenna. Welcome. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the podcast. How are you doing? I'm really good today. Thanks, Kevin. Good. How are you? I'm, I'm doing well. Thank you for asking. I'm excited. I always love talking to Jenna because we like align in lots of ways that we think about things and, you know, kind of approach things. And that's, I don't know, kind of a, a really weak segue <laughs> into our topic. <laughs> um, but there it is. So we're, we're also joined today by our fabulous, fabulous guest, Dr. Abigail Enka. She's uh, joining us. Well, Abby, introduce yourself. Tell us a little bit about yourself and welcome. Thank you. And it's so nice to see you both again. It's been a while. It has. Um, too long. And I I am excited to be here. I'm coming, um, I'm thinking about our our relationship and where we mm-hmm. met. And it was through the one of my current roles. I have a few roles. One of my current roles as a consultant with a National Center for PTSD in their PTSD consultation program. Mm-hmm. And we were doing a few trainings um, together. And I'm still in that role as a consultant. I also have a few other roles with the VA San Diego. I'm a deputy um, associate chief of staff overseeing some the outpatient clinics here. I'm also with the University of San Diego or University of California, um, San Diego and their School of Medicine. Um, and I'm here representing myself and not those entities. And I, it's really great to be here and to be chatting with you both again. Well, and given all those roles, we're really happy you could carve out some time right. to come talk to us because you are one busy woman, that's for sure. <laughs> so for those of you who don't know, we we uh, got to know Abby through a different like a different cooperative program between the Center for Deployment Psychology and National Center for PTSD, where we're um, cooperating together and providing some training for uh, civilian providers who will likely be seeing veterans in their practice. So a little bit of work in military culture, um, doing some work in PTSD assessment, and then also in suicide risk assessment and prevention. So you know, it's it, it's. In, in many ways, kind of the, the the topics we're all passionate about. But then, of course, too, um, Abby's not limited to only those topics. She has fabulous expertise other places, too. Um, and we, so we had, I think, uh, we had Abby on as one of the guests for our monthly webinar uh, a couple of years ago talking about, you know, really about the relationship between therapists and clients um, within the context of this was about the time that the the global pandemic was really just starting to be um, causing difficulties in many different ways, um, interrupting lives and and then certainly a lot of people seeking mental health care. So, um, I mean, Jenna, Jenna was the host for that webinar, I believe. So. Uh, yeah, it was, and I, I'm trying to remember the exact title, but it's something like the elephant in the room or That's social right. culture. So what was the actual title, Abby? Do you remember? I, um, I imagine it, it is 
the elephant in the room and it was the focus was on how to how do we treat PTSD when clinicians are having strong reactions to what their patients or clients are bringing up about sociocultural issues. And it's not a brand new thing. You know, this has always happened, but especially since the pandemic related and not related to the pandemic, it's this is this has been an issue that's really just kind of come come to light a lot more and what I was seeing as as a consultant, people asking questions about. Well, and that's the thing. I mean, it's certainly the pandemic is stressful and and disruptive in and of itself, but there are so many other things going on at the same time too. A lot of, uh, you know, upheaval in, um, you know, politics and in, you know, people's personal politics and a lot of divisiveness in politics and, you know, certainly some culture wars, if we want to call them that, you know, at least here in the U.S. And, uh, you know, certainly a lot of a lot of things going on at once that people have very strong feelings about and they don't always align those strong feelings between therapist and client. So what what's changed? What's gotten better since then or, or what's gotten worse? <laughs> you know, the pandemic started about three years ago now in yeah. 2020. I can recall we started getting consultation questions and it also aligned with a big election. So election right. was happening. And I don't know about you both, but when I was trained as a psychologist, it was always, there's always a question of how much do you disclose about yourself? You know, how much, how much should we be kind of blank slates or, you know, and letting others share information. But when the, especially with the election, I think we were hearing a lot of folks kind of unsure what to do. We're all people, you know, and we, the, it'd be one thing if it was just the pandemic, but between that 2020 and now we're in 2023, there, not a lot has really let up, you know, there's still a pandemic, some, uh, the kind of, if we think socio-cultural or socio-political in this really vague sense, racial injustice, um, the changes that's, in laws with the Supreme courts mm-hmm. changing, you know, um, who's in charge of the country, just the things that hit the news. And we're in a different place now, I think with people's exposure to news and media, it's just so forefront now. So it shouldn't be a surprise if you were a therapist or, um, any sort of mental health clinician and that is in the front of your patient's mind. You know, I want to talk to you about what I just read or what's bothering me. We should or this expect... argument I had with family or totally. Oh yes, uh... <laughs> we should expect people to be bringing up socio-cultural, socio-political issues. But I don't think that's something that we as mental health clinicians talk through a lot. And and to what extent do we bring up our own beliefs? You know, and right. I, I think it, it's hard even when we're starting to put together that presentation, which I did with Brittany Hall Clark, who's another right, right. Mm-hmm. consultant. Um, she and I work closely together. There was a lot of, you know, we want to be pretty watchful that we weren't imposing our own beliefs and values when we were talking about it either. You know, we don't want to be directional about what do you do if your client is really liberal and you're conservative. That's not what we're thinking here, but just right. how do you address it when it comes in the room? I think the question was change. I don't think there's been a a bunch of change. I think both in terms of talking about diversity, mm-hmm. but I think when we first conceptualized this, it was actually about burnout. There was a lot of yeah. um, thought. That was going to be my next question. And I and I think when we think of just these overlapping um, issues and kind of the length of the pandemic, that doesn't seem like it will 
And this is a, you know, it's really a shift in our reality now. Um, that burnout is still a, a real thing, a lot of switching jobs. And I think we see that play out in a lot of different ways. Yeah, which, so which can really set up some, you know, some tough um, when you've got these really difficult, um, you know, easily triggering the areas that that clients might bring in and you've got providers who are exhausted and over overworked um you know it could really sort of set up uh some some challenges and you know potential disaster areas so um you know we've seen that some in our consultation too mm-hmm. just the links that providers are going to 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 make this work for clients who are you know and a lot a lot via telehealth but you know having to be creative having to you know really shift gears in how you provide um care and then what happens when the person you're providing care to you're really struggling to figure out how to make this therapeutic relationship therapeutic <laughs> um and when when things are kind of blowing up. And it's funny, I feel like this was the first year um, there was sort of the the past couple of years around New Year's, you would sort of see this desire, like this is the year, like 2020, looking forward to 2021, looking forward to 2022, <laughs> you know, like this was all going to end, like somehow that year would be over and now we'd move on. And I didn't see any of that in 2023. Right. It's just sort of like this new normal or the new reality, as you said. Um, so that that's kind of interesting. We've just sort of accepted at this point, we're going to continue to um, navigate kind of the dumpster fire that's going on um, perpetually. And how do we readjust even right before we all met? I, I got a text from my kid's school that there's a he, he's been exposed that, you know, right. one of those contact tracing texts. And yeah. so the things have just shifted. And um, and so our therapists, our mental health clinicians are people, too. You know, and Absolutely. we are trying to do the work. I, I appreciate, Jenna, that you brought up how much the way that we practice changed. I, I It feels like so long ago, but it, it was almost immediate that all of a sudden everything had to shift to virtual. And I don't know about your all settings, but we're still mostly virtual in yeah. our setting for a lot of good reasons. You know, it's it does break down a lot of bar- barriers, but that has been um, something that added on for sure. Well, I think too, I, I, I certainly have colleagues who... Um, you know, experience what you're describing there. There was, we were pretty much doing face-to-face work in an office that, you know, they come to a clinic or a, a professional office and a lot of that changed over. And, and that too, I mean, it was a tough shift for everybody, but that too, in and of itself could be the context for some of these clashes of, of, you know, very strong opinions and beliefs. So for example, clients demanding why they couldn't come to an office or why they had to wear a mask when they came to an office or, you know, why do I even have to do telehealth or for, you know, on the other side of that, why isn't everybody here wearing a mask? This imperils me. And just, you know, some of the, again, so the very strong, and and I think I'm not going to say one, one side is right or wrong or whatever, but gosh, we all, like you said, we're people, we have our own beliefs too, right? We have these other things, these these very strong things that are important to us. And so it it can be tough to, you know, to have a belief that this is the right thing to do. This is the right way to go. And can I, can I connect with somebody who is diametrically opposed to some of that? And can I do the treatment that I was hoping to do, you know, when this is what's in the room, like they want to talk about policies and um, what I saw on the news, but our plan was to do prolonged exposure. It's just avoidance. We can just chalk that up to avoidance. (laughs) That that is the way. (laughs) When in doubt. 
um, so, I mean, I think, what do you do? Well, I think that's, that's something that we've had um, some of the, the clinicians that come to our consultation when, when that derails or that kind of, when your intention is to do an evidence-based, you know, treatment and you're, you're kind of, let's, we can use PE because we're all PE therapists and you're, you're moving forward with that, but these things pop up. Um, and let's not forget like natural disasters. I mean, it was everything. It was every category. We checked every box. Um, you know, maybe what did you see and what was, what was some of your advice to clinicians when some of these social cultural pieces came up and maybe were a little bit disruptive or could potentially be disruptive or, or maybe they really needed to be acknowledged and dealt with. And the other part of treatment kind of paused because it, it really was more like the forefront of the presenting mm-hmm. problem. Um, I guess any, any thoughts there or stories or advice that, that you've seen in the consultation program at NCPTSD? No, I think that's, that's a great question because the, I think at the foundation and the way that we'd framed it when we when Brittany and I were really thinking about the presentation was not just people bringing up what happens day to day, but the clinician having a strong reaction Yeah, and that clinician having a strong reaction is the elephant in the room. Like it, it is, you know, it, it's a, that um, clinician, psychiatrist, social worker, psychologist trying to do what they were hoping to do, whether it's an assessment or start, let's start your first imaginal. And then the, someone says that your client says something that either that all of a sudden, because we are people and are in this, it's an interesting thing. It's a shared stressful time. It's, it's not unique um, to one person. So it's really shifted everything. You know, I think that first part is really acknowledging as an individual that strong reaction that somebody is having, whether, are you angry? Are you angry because they have used um, a racial slur? You know, are the, are you angry because you just disagree with what they, your, your clients ask saying that they voted for someone and you have very strong feelings and you don't agree and you, you find yourself having an urge to say something, but it would be, um, off topic, essentially, or, you know, it, it, sometimes those strong reactions can be phrased because your clients asked you directly, asked you a question. They might just ask you, do you agree with the masking? Do you agree with who did you vote for? You know, or, um, something like that. (laughs) Yes. And I think those were the questions that we were getting. What do you do? And there isn't, I think Jenna, there's a lot of considerations there that you would make it. it de- a lot of it depends on the reaction that you're having. You know, if your reaction is so strong that you can, that it's impacting your empathy and your ability to align and do the care that you need to do, it, it's meaningful to pause probably to seek consultation because our, our primary goal is to care for somebody is to be providing treatment to that person. There is kind of, you know, it, it, it is an ethical question of how much do you disclose? I, I mentioned that some people are really trained not to at all. And some people right. are trained that you do disclose, you know, dif- there are different sorts of orientations for doing um, therapy, especially where disclosure is part of it. And if you don't disclose that you disagree, you know, especially if you find that someone has said something oppressive, uh, like about race, then it could be interpreted as colluding and agreeing with it. Right, um, right. So I think in maybe a 
this was not a client, but you know, I've been in a work situation. One of my jobs is as kind of an administrator and a leader. Um, but especially when all the new um, kind of COVID guidance came down in the screening, there was a situation where somebody said, I don't need to go through COVID screening. I'm not Chinese, you know, and that um, folks can't see me, but I'm Asian. <laughs> they, um I certainly had a strong reaction. Absolutely. And at the same time, it's, you know, kind of thinking at what point do you disclose that I disagree, that hurt my feelings, you know, that is inappropriate, or do you go straight to that's not allowed. Let's focus on this, you know, or I won't. Or do you educate? Like, I think I would just be so drawn to want to educate. Yeah. Absolutely. You could educate, you know, and I think that is actually part when we think of kind of um, some folks are familiar with Sue. So Sue did a lot of literature, especially on addressing microaggressions. Mm -hmm. And some of it was providing education that can be um, a step that's taken. But I think that 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 immediate reaction is thinking, can I can I do the work that I need to do? And how do I do that? Do I make a disclosure? You know, some of the things that we really recommend are trying to find that empathy that is really part of being um, mental health clinicians. And there are lots of good ways to do that when we're treating PTSD. So the um, the kind of doing really good case conceptualizations, understanding maybe that came from somewhere. Intention does matter. Were they trying to make a joke? Were they trying to kind of break down? kind of the tension? Are they nervous? Are they avoiding? Like it's a favorite to go to with PTSD. Um, But I think those, those sort of considerations are important. I think at the far end, it would be and it is a consideration depending on where you work. Would would they be better served working with somebody else because mm-hmm. of? Yeah. Um, and I don't think that's a place that you should jump to. But if you're in a setting where there are other people that they could work with, and you're really finding yourself having difficulty um, being the sort of clinician that you should be, I think that's something to consider. And I, I think that. overlying that consulting, consulting, yes. talking to colleagues, asking for help and advice, um, trying to understand what's happening and um, using the skills that we ha- teach other people to do. Well, I love I love all that because it, it reminds me that, you know, good, good therapy is often a lot of being able to step into your client's world and, you know, recognizing what things mean to them, kind of seeing it from their perspective, which doesn't mean you have to agree with it. doesn't mean you have to adopt their worldview, but kind of, you know, being there with them, recognizing that some of that may be symptom driven. Some of it may be really kind of based on experiences, real legitimate experiences that they've had that are different than our own. Um, But then also too, you know, just even thinking about yeah, that being that the therapeutic relationship is so important. If if that therapeutic relationship is 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 damaged and 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 you know there there it, it's really so, I guess intense that uh, moving forward isn't going to be helpful to the client. That that's another place where sometimes we have to kind of swallow our pride a little bit and think about, you know, what is best for this person. Not can I be right? Yeah. Absolutely, and I think the context and what we're working on it's different. I think in a 
if if you're in a long-term kind of, well, long, like it, you're doing PE for eight to 12 sessions, you have an ongoing relationship <laughs> with someone versus maybe a one-time screen, you know, and it, the, the focus is to help screen them and point them in the right direction. I think you might, or maybe you're assessing for suicide and this comes up. I think the priority there would be to probably keep assessing for safety, um, but, you know, kind of consider the context that we're working into. Absolutely. I, I was thinking too, it's really, you know, it's a um, indicative of how they interact with the rest of the world too, right? Like, so, you know, when we're in therapy with somebody, we're seeing snapshots of how they might interact with others and problems that might come up for them, you know, given their style or or how they choose to interact. And I think maybe not letting go of that either, not that you're trying to change their mind or sway their views, but how the behavior that they exhibited in your room together in your session together um, impacted the other person and have mm-hmm. they thought about that in some of their other relationships? I mean, like there's so much therapeutic fodder there too. Um, but I think the hard part is we're the other human with them that was affected by it. So, yeah. you know, and this, this happens obviously, you know, and, and I'm, I'm a behaviorist and I feel like we're talking about countertransference right now. Um, <laughs> um, you know, but, but there's, there's stuff there that I think we can be helpful in, in just sort of communication and interpersonal relationships and, you know, how, how our views, you know, how we express our views might impact other people, um, you know, is, is stuff to, to talk about. And, you know, and I, I think like in one of your slides, you, you definitely highlighted the, the personal is political, right? Like, so we, it's not when, if this comes up, this will come up and what do you do mm-hmm. with it and how do you prepare yourself? So I, I love some of the ideas that you've talked about so far. Thank you. No, I think that it's great. It's hard to kind of balance priorities. I think sometimes when you're in a lot of what folks are doing is really deciding on the fly. How do I, what is my focus of treating this person right now? And I think one recommendation we would make is really coming down to having a strong conceptualization of this a client service member veteran that you're working with. So Jenny, you mentioned like thinking of those, this is how they interact with the world. And if we're thinking of somebody with PTSD, where a lot of, we would expect there to be shifts in thoughts after a trauma about safety, about power and control, which would be directly related to a lot of the socio political, cultural things with changes in policies Absolutely. and threats to in, because of natural disasters and things like that, that I think to the extent that we can understand or try to understand, you know, this as a kind of as a behavior or, you know, an action, if you're using an ABC sheet, the A, like yeah. the, this, this statement was made, but maybe what are, what came before that, maybe what, what is around that and how might it be related to if you're doing CPT stuck points? So what, how might it be related to some of those core beliefs about safety, trust, power control mm-hmm. um, that might have shifted from trauma that you might be planning to work on in treatment? And so if you can pull those together, I think that often helps with finding, you know, keeping your empathy there, you know, so that you can help try best to under, which empathy is really understanding, um, trying to understand where they're coming from. And I, I do think that helps a lot and, you know, helps 
keep moving forward in PTSD treatment rather than stalling it um, or kind of spending a session talking about politics instead of PTSD, you know, or just it, can, can we put it together because it should come together. It feels like a very fine balance sometimes too, right? Because on the one hand, we, we don't want to be projecting our opinions, our beliefs onto our client. Um, we, we don't want to be trying to change them to think like us. But at the same time, the point of therapy very often, you know, a, a good outcome is that they think about things, the world themselves, safety, power, all things differently than when we started. Um, you know, and, and I guess that that's that place where it is kind of this fine balancing act between, you know, making sure that we're not projecting our beliefs onto them. And that's what we're interpreting as health is that they agree, but more of helping them to find uh, a different way of understanding those things that is workable for them, that, you know, that that's functional for them and it can still be different than ours. Yeah. I would, I would like to foot stump um, if you were not able to catch the webinar, because it, it really, you know, so many wonderful, you did a great case example that was fabulous with Mr. Arnold, I think his name was. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you have, I mean, we're going to put the link in the show notes, but I would definitely encourage any of you who are interested to circle back and, and take a, uh, a listen and a look at, at that presentation that was, I think January, like 2021, it was a while ago. Um, but you know, there's some really specific things that you can do with your case conceptualization and make sure you're focusing on, um, also, you know, kind of when, when to proceed and when to maybe refer out, you know, kind of really Mm -hmm. thinking, helping folks to think that through. So I'm just going to put a shout out to be able to circle back and, and take a listen to that as well. Yeah. Great. So Jenna, who did you vote for? Totally kidding. Um, as you said earlier in the podcast, we tend to align Kevin. So I think you can probably figure that out. <laughs> um, but, but maybe this is a good time. Um, Abby, you know, at the end of every show, we, try to leave our listeners what we with what we call actionable intel. Like what can I, you know, I've listened to this and I'm thinking about this and I want to sort of take something forward into my practice that I do or think about. If you had some actionable intel to share with our listeners on um resources or things to be thinking about if this, you know, if the if the elephant is in their room, um, <laughs> if you will, uh, what would those be? No, I think probably the first would be given where I I mentioned burnout in terms of this. We were talking about burnout in 2020 and burnout is still here in kind of 2023. And there is some literature to suggest that folks who mental health clinicians who work in the fields of trauma might be particularly susceptible. So I I think my first suggestion would be a bit of self-reflection to really pause and consider how have things shifted for you since 2020? When um, did you completely have to change the way that you do your practice? How have you noticed sociocultural position issues and political issues come into your treatment settings? You know, how have you noticed? How have you been addressing them? If you have been, you know, and are there elephants in your room? <laughs> like, have have they been there? And um, I think that's probably the best place to start is just to see if it is to kind of raise some insight and awareness. So that'd probably be my first suggestion. Second suggestion would be, you know, I I mentioned a lot 
the importance of assessment and case conceptualization. Kevin, I appreciate you bringing up the training that we had done together and that's still ongoing between the National Center and um, Center for Deployment Psychology focuses on assessment. And I think um, focusing on understanding and having a good conceptualization for, um, in general, I remember you presenting on military culture, thinking culturally when we are not, not just about diagnosis and symptoms, but really trying to think holistically about the clients and patients that we're treating. So what are their identity characteristics that might be coming into the room and contributing to your mental health? How are things going at home and their housing situation and things like that? And, and um, how are they feeling about politics and sociocultural issues? That is part of their conceptualization in addition to PTSD. And then the last thing I'd be remiss if I didn't say actionable is to consult. You know, I think we are not alone. And so it's so nice to be here and um, in meeting with you both again, but I think using the the strength and the colleagues that we have and the reaching out within our institutions, outside of our institutions with experts. And um, there's a lot of value. It can help save you time, you know, when things are hard, but also it's nice, I think, to reflect back. I had a mentor so, that would say, spread the liability around. And exactly. <laughs> that's a crass that's way of saying it. But <laughs> It's true. Don't make those that's decisions true. on your own. Absolutely. <laughs> like, Get input. Yeah, absolutely. So first we have to, we have to notice the elephant and then we have some ways to maybe cage the elephant. I like that. Um, address it, yeah. <laughs> Caging it's the elephant be there. with Abby. That, that'll mm-hmm. be the, the title. <laughs> um, and, and of course, you know, we'll, we'll definitely link to the NCPTSD and the National Center for PTSD. If you've not been to their website, boy, are you missing out mm-hmm. because there are so many resources for providers. Um some of our favorite most colleagues for sure. Uh, so we'll, we'll definitely link to, um, to that. And then, um, and APA also has some good, uh, you know, guidelines, multicultural mm-hmm. guidelines and, and, uh, I think resources that we could probably link to, too. Uh, but we are so glad that you were able to visit with us today Thank and you so um, much. join us. You're a frequent flyer, Abby. We just can't quit you. You know, we want, want you for <laughs> webinars and we want you for podcasts. And um, hopefully this is uh, just we'll, we'll see you again in some context. But absolutely. I'm looking forward to our paths crossing again. For sure. Thanks. Well, thank you, everybody, also for tuning in. Uh, come back next time for our next episode of Practical for Your Practice. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Practical for Your Practice. Please feel free to subscribe, rate, and join in on the conversation in the comments. Until next time.